Have you ever been in that situation? The situation where something happens in your life, situation where a moment happens, and you didn't make the mistake, but yet, but yet, you watch the person who did make the mistake not get what they had coming to them. You all know what I'm saying, right? For example, I can personally remember many occasions where this has happened. <laughs> Believe it or not, right? Uh, maybe you're like me. Maybe you were that child who maybe stayed out a little bit too late for curfew and broke curfew. And when you walked in the door, your lovely mother was greeting you at the door way past curfew. And you got grounded. But then maybe a few short weeks later, one of your siblings stay out past curfew and they don't get grounded. Maybe I'm just the only one, right? Or, or what about those moments where <clears throat> you were going a little bit too fast? Y'all laugh, but like, <laughs> come on, right? And you get the ticket, but the buddy that you were just driving side by side with, they didn't get pulled over and get the ticket, but you did. How is that fair? What about this one? What about this one? What about that car accident where you got rear-ended and the person who hit you, there's not a scratch on their car? What about that massive loan that you took out and now it's, you know, you're repaying it and repaying it and repaying it, but then another person you know took out almost the same exact loan and totally got forgiven. Where's the fairness in this? See, we struggle with this, if we're honest. We struggle with this reality of fairness. And if we take a hot second and if we engage our emotions in these moments, most of these emotions would be anger, frustration, pain, hurt. You feel this internal tension that is going on and you feel legitimate feeling it. How is it fair that I get grounded, grounded, but my brother didn't get grounded? How is it fair I got the ticket, but they didn't get the ticket? How is it fair? Because we operate and we have this mindset that everything should operate in the system of fairness. Am I right? Come on now. And, and, and when fairness doesn't work out for us or we don't like how fairness is being played out, we start to get angry, not just at ourselves and the world around us, but rather we also get angry at who? God. God. And we get real frustrated with him. Maybe it's just me. And we operate with this idea and this mentality that God has to operate within our context of fairness and justice. That the way I view fairness and justice in the world is the same way that God should operate in it. And I think we have to consider at the core that maybe, just maybe, God's model of fairness and justice is radically countercultural and radically different than how I would view fairness and justice. And if you remember last week, if you joined us last week, you would remember that we dove into a, a pretty well-known parable. If you've been around the church for a while, you probably have heard the parable of the prodigal son many times. We dove into this story. That's what a parable is, a story to illustrate a point. And as we were diving into it, I said that we kind of only dove into the first act. 
there's a whole nother act that we're diving into today. We're going to look at Act 2. Sound good? In order to look at Act 2, we have to remember what Act 1 was about. We see the father come, and he's there, and he has two sons, an older and a younger. And the younger son approaches the father, and he says, Yo, dad, I want my inheritance. I want my money, and I want it. And the dad flips his life upside down, tears everything apart, totally liquefies all of his assets to give the younger son his portion of the inheritance. The younger son goes out and says he squanders it on wild living. And there comes a moment where it says the younger son has come to his senses and he says, I need to go home. And as he's going home, he's preparing in his mind to negotiate with his dad of, dad, take me back as a slave. I know I'm not worthy to be your son. We see this negotiation, and then we see the father embrace the son. He takes off running, embraces the son. And essentially, this is where we pick up. The dad is throwing a party. And this is where we're going to pick up in verses 25 through 27. This is what it reads. Meanwhile, meanwhile, is a very big word. With importance here. The older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Meanwhile, the older brother was working. Let me tell you something here. The older brother is tending the fields. The older brother is working on the land. The older brother is taking care of the animals. The older brother is working. I don't know about you, but if I'm working outside, if I'm tending to the fields, if I'm doing these things, that most of the time means I am sweaty, I am tired, I am exhausted even maybe. Why? Because I am working. Can we just take a moment real quick and understand the dynamic that is unfolding right here in this verse, in these few verses? The older son is working while the father is starting a party for his younger brother. And let's also realize that the older brother finds out that the party started because when he started to hear the music and the dancing, he asked what was going on. And who informed him? The servant. The older brother is working while the dad is throwing a party of the century for the younger brother who ran away and spent all the dad's money. The older brother is is doing his duty, working hard. And he comes home, probably to shower, and he discovers a party unfolding. He discovers that the dad has slaughtered the fattened calf. 
And we have to understand that the party in this, if the dad slaughtered the fattened calf, it's not just like this is a family get-together. This is like a party for the whole entire village and town. So people are here. Groups of people are here. This is a party party. And he discovers it from a servant. And we discover a little bit more about the older brother here because in these next few verses, we discover his response to what is happening here. Verses 28 through 30. Now the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father came out, begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all of that time, you never gave me even one young goat for her feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours come back, squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. This is a dynamic moment here because we have to understand, if you go back one slide, Andrea, for me, the older brother was what? Y'all, I don't know the Greek word in that right now, but I'm pretty sure it's a pretty strong anger, if you know what I'm saying. You get me? He was mad, mad. And then he, he's not even going to go in. And we discover what's truly happening here. He's refusing to go in. The son did everything right. This is the son that should be held up as the, like, trophy child. You know those, like, Children in the family that you're like, those are the trophy children? This would be the one. And if, you know, for some of us, I don't know, I'm not it. That's okay, though. You know, but like there's this moment. This is the son looking at the dad and he's like, I did everything right. I didn't leave. I didn't, I didn't fuss. If you asked me to do something, I did it. I stayed. I was the good child. And you've never even given me a goat. Forget about the fattened calf. I don't even get a goat. We see the son here, the older son, starting to compare. And it leads me to a simple question for us today. Very simple question. What party do you attend when you come home? See, last week when we talked about the younger son, it was that, that reality of no matter what you've done, no matter how fast you've run, just come home. But for the older brother, it's the question of what party do you attend when you actually come home? You see, because for the younger son, the younger son, when he comes home, the party is a celebratory party. It's the party of the century. It's, it's the dancing, the music, the lights, the fog machine. Like, everything is happening here, right? You can feel the beat, you know, going, and the lights are going, and everybody, this is the best time of his life. But the older brother, the older brother is attending a pity party. This is one of the worst days, frustrating days of his life. Because he's done everything right, and I got nothing. There's this moment in the text where we have to ask ourselves, what party do you attend when you come home? 
You see, what's even more interesting about this is that we have to understand the context. Because remember the son, the younger son, he ran away, right? And the older brother stayed. And the older brother was good. Not just behaving-wise, but like, he was okay. He felt good. He felt okay. Why? Why? Because he knew that his inheritance was good. He knew that it was secure where it was. He had the things. He didn't have to share anything with his brother anymore. His brother left with his inheritance. I no longer have to worry about sharing with my brother. I no longer have to worry about him. He's out. He's done. He's gone. But then there comes the moment where it says he's angry because the son came home. Why is he really angry, though? He's angry not because the the son has come home. He's not angry even at at the, the younger brother's lifestyle. He's angry because the dad has killed the fattened calf, is using resources and money to throw a what for the younger son? Woo! The older brother's not mad that the, the, his younger brother is home. The older brother's mad because the dad is using money to celebrate the son coming home. The older brother is mad about the things, not about the son. Because when he saw his younger brother return, He knew that his portion was once again cut. He just lost some more things. He lost some more money. He lost some more of the father's house because my younger brother came home. The older brother is much more concerned with the father's house than the father's love. I don't know if you tweet or not, but that's a pretty good one. To write down. The older brother in the story is much more concerned with the father's house, the father's things, the father's resources, rather than the father's heart and his love and his grace and his mercy. And we understand that both of these sons are trying to control their dad. The younger son is trying to control dad when he left. But the older son is trying to control dad because he stayed. He's trying to manipulate the duty he serves. He stayed out of duty rather than loving service. If you continue to read, if you look again, like verse 29, this is what it says. There's some dynamic shifts in the text here. So don't miss this. Verse 29. So so he replies, all of these years I've slaved for you. Never once have I complained. Some translations, it says that, It doesn't just say, I've slaved for you. But some translations, it says that the older brother says, for so many years, I've become a slave for you. Do we see here the the shift in mentality, maybe? The older brother is looking at the dad and says, I've been your slave, not your son. And the younger brother is coming home. And what did the younger brother say to his dad? Take me back as a slave, not your son. We see a dynamic role reversal happening in right in front of us. The older brother doesn't even view himself as a son anymore. I'm a slave out of duty. All the while, the younger brother is just begging to come back as a slave. 
And look at how he responds to the father. In verse 30, this son of yours, man, he's not even my brother anymore. He's creating intentional distance between himself and his younger brother. This son of yours. I'd often wonder when reading this text if the older brother would have preferred if his younger sibling would have died rather than returned home. Because there is some dynamic distance that is being put between them. Now, I think there's a good spot to maybe just ask ourselves this this honest reality question of, is, is this what we do? Because I think if we're honest, this is how sometimes we even struggle and treat some of those people around us who may be lost. Ah, They act or they talk differently than us, so we're just not going to associate with them. Ah, You know what? They're pretty broken with some pretty nasty baggage, and they're pretty messed up, by the way. So we're just going to create a little distance. I don't want, you know, people think that I'm like them and they're like me. Like, we're going to make sure that people know we're different. We see lost people coming home, but, but yet we struggle. We struggle when they are embraced by God because they were so lost. And I've been good. I think this is an honest struggle in the church. I think this is an honest struggle when it comes to not just Christianity, but the church. Jesus' bride. I think we struggle as the church, as believers, when we see lost people find hope in Jesus sometimes because we might see ourselves as the older brother. And we don't like that. We don't like that. Tim Keller puts it this way when he's talking about this story. And when he reflects back on the older brother, he says essentially the older brother is looking at the dad and essentially he's saying, I go to church, I pray, I tithe, I serve. God, you owe me. God, you owe me. You owe me blessing. You owe me favor. You owe me reward. You owe me love. But this is attention because in that moment, we're no longer serving and loving and walking out of love and faith, but rather out of sheer duty. You see, the elder brothers in life, they stay out of duty, to get things from God. The younger brothers, though, they come back. They come back and they walk in faith because of sheer love for God. And if we take a moment and we ask ourselves a simple question today, and I'm just going to be very upfront with this, this might be a question that maybe makes us uncomfortable. What are we walking in today? Are we walking in, I walk with God out of duty? I'm doing everything right. I show up, check. I tithe, check. I serve, check. I do everything right. Am I walking out of duty or am I walking out of love? I serve because I know, God, that you served first. I tithe because, God, I know that you gave first. 
I believe God because I know that you did. Are we walking out of duty or are we walking out of love? Because I think that's ultimately what this story is literally looking at. These two dynamically different brothers, are they walking out of duty or out of love? Because look what happens in the next two verses, 31 through 32. His father said to him, this is the older son still. His father said to the older son, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead, has come back to life. He was lost, but he is now found. There's this moment in the text that he wants, the father wants the older brother to come in. The father leaves the party, comes to the older brother, and is having this conversation of, listen, son, my son, you've always been my son. Yes, you've done everything right. Your status as my son has never been in question. He's assuring the older son of his love, of the rich, deep love of the father. But come and celebrate. Your brother is home. If you have your Bible, what you'll notice is something very interesting here. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the chapter. Book closes. Story time is over. Jesus gets up and is done. We never find out if the older brother walks into that party. We never find out if the older brother makes the decision to walk into the house and join the party or to stay out and continue to have his pity party. We never find out. But there's good news for us today. The good news is we get to choose what party we attend. We can either stay outside and attend our own pity party and Oh, God, why are you doing this for everybody else but not me? Or we get to join the party inside and celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives. This past week, um, <clears throat> this past week, I, I, I put out a Facebook post and uh, I got into a conversation with someone who I've known a few years, um, not a tight friend of mine. But like I've known him a little bit, quite a bit. And we got into this conversation on my Facebook post. And what's interesting is um, this, this friend of mine has grown pretty bitter, to be honest with you, towards God. And what's interesting to me is I think they could resemble and feel in some ways like the older brother. They went to church regularly growing up. They served. They attended the camps. They did the youth group thing. They went to church like they knew God. But yet, I think the comparison game became pretty strong. God, why are you doing things in their life but not mine? Like I'm, I'm doing the right things. I was going to church. I was involved. I was serving. I was doing all these things. Why are you not showing up like you are in their life, in my life. Why are you not doing what you're doing for them? 
Why do they have the fattened calf, but I haven't even gotten a goat? And what's interesting is, to this day, they struggle with God. To the point where they, they question God. I wonder for us, I wonder how many times we've been in the shoes maybe of an older brother where the comparison game played pretty strong in our minds. And and we got to be clear here. The father didn't tell the younger son when he came home, like, figure everything out, make sure your life is now, like, be a good boy. That wasn't his message. Jesus' message was never about good, being a good person. Jesus' message, and ultimately God doesn't just want, he doesn't want good people. God doesn't want good people. He wants people who are radically changed by his name and made new in his name. God doesn't want just good people. He wants people who have been made new in his name. There's a reality in that. That God didn't send his son here on earth to just make us good. He sent his son, Jesus came here on earth to make us new. And we can't forget that. We can't forget that God doesn't want good people. He wants new people, new creations. He wants The old self to die and the new self to be born. He wants new and not good. Rich Veladas, he's he's become one of my favorite authors. Um, and, And I love how he puts it when it comes to this parable. He says this, The younger son left the house and was far from home. But the older son stayed in the house, but yet was far from home. But the father wants both of them home. But they both need to turn back. One, from his self-debasing disobedience, and the other, from his self-righteous obedience. Both are lost. And what's mind-blowing is as Jesus is unpacking this parable, this story, who's sitting around him? The Pharisees. Man, I love Jesus because he's unpacking this story and he's talking about the younger son and the older son and the father. And as the Pharisees are tuning in and listening, they understand what Jesus is saying because Jesus is looking at him being like, yo, you know the older brothers? It's you. And they're getting uncomfortable because you have to remember that you have to remember that the Pharisees were these guys who held so closely to obedience and duty. They didn't like it when the messed up, the broken, the sick, the nasty people came and Jesus was like, let's get burgers. They didn't like that. But Jesus was all about that. So they're getting uncomfortable here. They, they would have had a hard time with the Gentiles coming home with Jesus. They would have had a hard time with the lepers coming home with Jesus. They would have had a hard time with the tax collectors coming home with Jesus. And they intentionally distanced themselves. 
They made laws that put distance between them. If we can just keep them, those people over here, we'll stay over here. They made laws. They created distance between them. There are certain areas that certain people could only go into. Why? Intentional distance. Intentional separation. Over and over, they would look down. They would outcast people because of maybe their background. Maybe even how they grew up. Maybe their beliefs. They would outcast people because... They wanted separation. Over and over and over, the church has even done this. Ah, they believe differently. They look differently. They love differently. They live differently. We distance ourselves over and over and over again. Why? Because we get nervous. But I'm left with that question of what party do you attend when you come home? What party do you attend when you come home? See, for some of us, we strongly, strongly identify with the story of last week and the younger brother. I was lost. I was broken. I wasted all the resources. I was just begging I was just begging for the Father to take me home, to take me back. We identify with the younger brother. But I think if we're honest in a moment, and this, this makes us really uncomfortable, I think there's moments even in my life where I have seen myself in the older brother. I did everything right. I, I stayed I did my duty. I didn't make the mistake. I, I was good. And I think that's really uncomfortable for us. Because if we're just being honest, we can't ever forget that God doesn't want good people. He wants people who have been made new. And that makes us uncomfortable. Because over and over and over again in this story, God shows his radical love through the Father. As we close today, I want to leave you with just this snippet of what's interesting to me is the Father shows a radical love to both of his sons, plural, the older and the younger, not just the younger, but the older one as well. There's acceptance, there's forgiveness for the one who left, but there's also an ongoing love and a healing that's offered to the older one, the one who stayed. There's hope. If you were to read the whole chapter of Luke 15, you discover that Jesus tells three parables, actually. All right back to back to back. Parable of a lost coin, parable of a lost sheep, and the prodigal son. What's interesting about these parables, though, 
is this, especially these three. If you look at these three, the, the first two stories, the first two parables, there's an all-out search and rescue that happens. <laughs> the sheep goes lost, and we see the shepherd drop everything. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. All-out search and rescue. There's that video circulating around Facebook recently of a sheep stuck in a hole. Shepherd pulls him out, and you see the sheep going, and all of a sudden he jumps back in. It's all-out search and rescue. Because the sheep matters. The lost coin. The woman lost it. She tears apart everything. She's flipping tables. She's like super strength, lifting couches up. She needs to find this coin. All out search and rescue. But the parable, the prodigal son. Nobody went. Nobody went. The older brother didn't put together a search team. Nobody went. And I think that's intentional that Jesus tells those. Because there's a reality for us that not only do we get to choose what party we attend, we also get to choose to bring the party to other people. And I believe that God sends us, as his believers, out to let people know that there's a party in heaven like you've never seen or heard before. When the lost are found, when the dead are brought back to life, there's a party that happens. And it's on us. We get, we get the opportunity to bring the party. We get the opportunity to start the party. We get the opportunity to not just stay in duty, but rather to walk in love to our lost brothers and sisters. I asked you last week to start praying and thinking about someone who is lost. I really hope that you took that challenge. Because I know a few people on my list that every interaction I get with them, I get to choose what party I'm going to invite them to and I'm going to attend. So who is that person that's lost? Lost either in leaving or lost because they've just simply stayed out of duty. Who is lost in your life that needs to hear that there's somebody out there, a God out there, who wants to find them like they've never been found before? Who's willing to go to any length to redeem, to restore, and to, to bring them back? And to have a party. So as we close today, as, as we do that, I want to invite you just right now. I'm, I just want to give space for that. So Josh is going to keep doing that thing. And I'm just going to invite you right now to, again, I, I believe there's benefit in this. To, to close your eyes. To quiet your spirit quiet your mind, quiet your heart, to breathe him in, like actively do it. Close your eyes. Breathe him in and ask God right now, God, who is lost in my life? As you prepare to continue to worship, just take this moment right now to take a deep breath of the Spirit. 
Let the Holy Spirit right now fill your lungs, fill your body, fill your spirit. Feel his presence just permeate from the very tip of your head to all the way down to the very bottom of your toes. Breathe him in. And as you do so, just say, God, who is lost in my life? God, who are you leading me to? Father, we ask that right now in these moments, right here, right now, in this moment, God, I ask right now that you would bring a vivid picture of a face to each and every one of our minds right now. Whether we're sitting in the living room, whether we're sitting in these chairs, whether we're driving on the road, bring a vivid picture in our mind right now of somebody who is lost in our life. Bring their name to our minds. And now, Lord, I ask that you would bring what you are calling us to do. To partner with you to bring the lost home to be found. Father, speak to us. Move within us. Move around us, Lord. Give us opportunities, Father. Give us opportunities and moments this week to speak life and love into that person's life right now. Prepare already for us what's going to happen on Tuesday. Prepare already for us what's going to happen on Thursday night, Lord. Prepare already for that Saturday afternoon uh, just meeting with them, Lord. Prepare right now, Lord, for what's about to happen. Move right now, Lord. Bring them closer to you right now, Lord. And as you do, Father, would you remind us that maybe we've struggled as that older brother, that you are calling us and asking us that you are my son, you are my daughter. I have loved you and I continue to love you. Come to the party. And would we, Lord, choose to party with you, to go into the party with you, to embrace the loss that is found, the broken that is healed, and remind us, God, just once again that not only are you a good father, Lord, but that anything is, is possible with you. So, Father, as we just sit in this moment and just continue to worship you, stir within us, Lord. Stir within us. We pray this in your name.